Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Our passage this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 4, and reading from uh, verse 16. And I always like as... Long ago, as uh, the scribes added different titles to sections, the Rejection at Nazareth is our title. So we kind of know what we're reading these next few minutes. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll the prophet Isaiah had given to him. Unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began saying to them, Today, as you listen, as the scripture has been fulfilled, Let's pray together before we uh, we enter in. Father, I thank you for your word and how your word can be at work in our lives. And I pray that as we look to this scripture and we look to you for guidance, that you also reveal where it can be applicable in our lives. I pray for these next few minutes that the distractions of the world can be removed and we can have just a minute thinking on you and being led by you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So let's paint the picture. Uh, it takes, this takes place immediately after Jesus has been tempted by the devil in the Judean desert and before he travels to Copernicum where he's teaching and performing many miracles. It's kind of a fast-moving story. It turns from the respect and intrigue into hate and attempted murder. Jesus goes to the synagogue where he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He's handing back the scroll short of an important point to the Jews. As in his reading, he announces that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Although those around him are amazed at his wisdom, the words anger some because they see themselves as God's chosen people who are perfect. They don't agree that the good news shall also go to the Gentiles. They are angered by his words and want to throw him out of the synagogue. They take him in front of the city, drag him to a hilltop, and try to throw him off a cliff. But he manages to walk away unhurt. The book of Luke is a comprehensive gospel written around 60 AD by a profession by a doctor, by profession, excuse me. He has a style of writing that not only shows that he's educated, but he's caring. He has an eye for detail. His main purpose in writing this is to give an accurate account of Jesus' life, to show him as both perfectly human and also the Savior. He often spoke about the telling of the good news, which made him an evangelist. To put our reading in a geographical context, it's important to know that Nazareth is built in a hollow around the southern slopes of the Galilean hills. From the top of the hills, you can see a great distance. 
and it's situated where there's a busy convergence of three major trade routes, making it important both biblically and for commercial reasons. The synagogue, also in the story, is a place where people went to read and study the scriptures. They had their prayers and readings all set aside for them by the year. Similar to lectionaries or in our own church for a season we used a, a liturgical calendar. So it's all printed out and you're following prescribed. This was Jesus' first public sermon. It holds important place in Luke's gospel. It marks the beginning of his ministry, which he started in his childhood town of Nazareth. When Jesus began to read, it was not from the Torah, but the scroll of Isaiah, handed to him by the chazan, or the cantor of the synagogue. So basically the worship leader gave him that text. He began the appointed reading from Isaiah 61. Jesus began his sermon with the statement, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing of it. The anticipation from those around him were fixed upon him. They waited for him to say more. Some may accepted right away what he's saying, others did not. With the words, today's, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing it. The people were listening to him, began to realize and understood the depth of what he was saying. Piece by piece, they strung together words, actions, stories, which they had heard until it reached a point when they finally realized he was speaking about himself. This was the point where they began to despise him. Some Greek scholars look at this and, and they're convinced that the people of Nazareth were so consistently unbelieving that they wouldn't even bring their sick to him to be healed. So when we hear the story that not, even, not anyone was healed in Nazareth, their thought is no one came forth because they didn't even believe that anything would happen from it. Jesus stopped reading in mid-sentence, finishing with the year of Lord's favor, was cause of consternation. It was what Jesus didn't say, opposed to what he did. This was quite often the case. The Jewish people expected God to restore Israel in what they considered their rightful place, yet show no mercy to those who persecute them. On one hand, their way of thinking could be understood as, well, God had done it before. The exodus of Egypt, how God crushed the Egyptians who pursued them across the Red Sea. Why would they expect any different now? Initially, the Jews were impressed by Jesus' words as he spoke about the Roman captors. But then, as he spoke about them in a forgiving way and showed that the good news was for not just for Jews, but also the Gentiles, they began to seethe with anger. They didn't want to share their privilege with non-Jews. They disagreed with what it said. After reading the scroll, he handed it back and sat down. The act of sitting down kind of explains or, or would be natural for that's the start of the teaching time. But the words that Jesus read caused the Jewish people to think deeply about what they had just heard. The text spoke strongly of a Messiah who was at work to, and called to do, such as bringing the good news to Jews and Gentiles alike. Although the words he read from Isaiah were very much spoken about him, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. As Jesus spoke these words, he enabled people to see that even though he was the Son of God, he still needed God's Holy Spirit and anointing to be able to do God's work. His words told them that he was the anointed one, commissioned by God, and he was both the right person and the one that God had called to do ministry. 
He was anointed to preach to the poor and tell the good news of the gospel. This anointment was seen as when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. These words left the Jewish people pondering to interpret that mission statement, either physical or spiritual. It posed the questions of, who was Jesus here to save, the materially poor or the spiritually poor? It asked them to ask, who are the captives to be freed? Are they the people that are slaves to the Romans or the ones slaves to the devil or, in other words, sinners? Is it the physically blind who need healing or those who are unable to see God's work among them? These were the questions they wrestled with. Jesus hold, help, excuse me, healed those who were physically and spiritually in need, healing the physical and also touched upon the spiritual. He came to preach to the poor, those who had no job, so poor that they had to beg in the streets to survive. He identified himself with the prophet Isaiah who spoke about and told him in unusual ways. He was there to make a difference, and he would bring change to the people. As it often the case, Jesus allows his listeners to work out the meaning for himself. One of my favorite comedians, uh, he's just come out, he followed in the steps of uh, Tim Hawkins, and uh, it's John Christ. And his premise in a lot of his jokes is he has this buildup where you're following along, and yeah, that's funny, that's funny, that's funny, uh, those people are funny. And then he kind of drops the bomb at the end where he's actually making fun of his own, of whatever community he's in. So if he's in St. Louis, he's making jokes about, yeah, people are, yeah, they name their kids this or, or that, and oh yeah, they don't go to school very long, and oh yeah, they play for the St. Louis Rams, like the local sports team. So you're listening and you're agreeing, and then you realize the butt of the joke is you. And here we can kind of see that as Jesus is teaching, as the people are agreeing, it finally comes to the point of, hey, 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 he's talking about us. And that's what's important for us to see is this message, so many times even spoken long ago to a different people, we can look at it and start interpreting how it affects us. People had just heard the message, now about to feel and experience it for themselves. Jesus was to preach the good news to both word and action. Christ was telling them he had come to profit and to be a physician to heal the spiritually sick weighed down by sin. He offered opportunity to give these burdens of guilt and shame over to God. He was this long-awaited Messiah who had come to set them free, but the people in the synagogue expected Jesus to before, perform the same miracles that he had performed elsewhere. But this is not what Jesus had planned to do. They wanted a piece of this action that they had seen in other places, but not in his hometown. There were deep-rooted prejudice against him based on their knowledge that they knew him, he grew up, the son of Joseph, that artisan builder, a simple carpenter, but now he'd be the Messiah. They remembered the man as a boy and as a teenager, and they watched him grow up. See, I remember years ago I seen at what was known then as the Air Canada Center, a uh, big hockey night in Canada moment. I'm not even a huge hockey fan, but it was one of these Canadian moments, as it was deemed. Uh, Dion Phaneuf, a player, he still plays for the Kings now, played for the Senators for a while. Um, it was basically this Canadian boy that Toronto was bringing back home to play for them. And it was the first night, the ACC, they panned the crown, there's people with tears in their eyes. It was this Canadian boy brought home. 
it's funny, he was their captain for a short period and became the scapegoat and then traded off to Ottawa and just, you make this big deal of something that's not fully true or even something that can't even be fulfilled. Can you see the scene? No matter the years after he was the problem, he was the player to get rid of. The Jews resented Jesus' words. Hatred began to fuel their feelings. To such a point they tried to throw him, or they threw him out of the synagogue, dragged him to a hill and tried to throw him off. He managed to escape either through his sheer strength or divine nature, walks away and continues beyond. This encounter with the synagogue officials was a wake-up call for the Jewish people to realize God wanted a relationship not only with the Jews, but with the Gentiles. He told them how he had come for those that were persecuted, unloved, poor, the captives, the spiritually blind. These were the people Jesus was concerned about, not the comfortable, devout, realist, ritualistic, and the people that went to the synagogue, who lived by rules and regulations, and the word, not the word of God. He came to bring salvation, new life for those persecuted groups, and an old way that the Jew, and getting rid of that old way that the Jews so cherished. We've explored this reading meant in its original context, but how can we interpret it for ourselves today? First thing that I think it says to us, it's important for us to meet like a group like this, a group of believers gathering together as a church to read and study God's word. It's exemplified by Jesus. He regularly attended synagogue. That leads us to ask, how many times do we spend each week in God's word? On average, our jobs getting there and are, are like getting ready for it, take about 10 hours of our day. Sleeping, eating, showering, dressing, another 10 hours. Our family and our hobbies take those last four. So our committed church members, maybe we attend two or three times a month. So of that 168 hours in a month, we basically have three to four that is given to uh, our spiritual side or our spiritual teaching. So we look at that statistically, it's basically 1%. Having that little time can lead us to some really weird theological thoughts. Some of us, we believe in the resurrection, but also think, oh yeah, re reincarnation, that's, that's cool. Or believes that God could guide us through prayer, but hey, reading horoscopes, that can also guide us. While devout Muslims commit themselves to memorizing the Quran, the average Christian doesn't even open their Bible. And it, to give a disclaimer to this next thought, I realize that mental wellness is way bigger and it's an issue that needs medication. Like, there's, there's multiple facets. But one uh, point that I'd like to bring is so many times as we deal with, especially the mental wellness based from social media and people dealing with anxiety, we were hearing that voice of Satan just whispering lies to us. If only we were memorizing the word of God that, so his truth could counteract that, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, as Satan would whisper some lies to us that we're not worthy, we're not this, or this is a good idea. You could have the word of God speaking the opposite to it and also believing that, no, God's word is true. This is what God has in store for me.
We all have to put God's word at the top of our daily to-do list. If we're supposed to be mature Christians, it calls for commitment. We can no longer allow ourselves to be tossed to and fro with whatever doctrine we're told. It's by studying and reading that we're fed substantially real food which can help us grow spiritually. Another thought is I believe it also shows that the gospel is for everyone. God is for everyone. He's diverse. We live in a diverse country, diverse province here. So he just doesn't come for those of us that are here worshiping today, but those in our community. And that's what's exciting about a week like this one is you're going to have lots of different families. Yes, you're going to be focusing specifically on their children. Lots of different families coming in. It was exciting last time we were here. Uh, I met folks that I had known long ago in another community that had moved to Truro and just starting to make connections. And it was exciting to see them getting some roots here with you folks at Emmanuel. So it's highly important that we can think of others sharing that goodness. Because rest assured, other people are definitely speaking against God. So we want to be speaking for them. So our final thoughts here would be, let's examine our own lives, our spiritual lives, to see in what ways can we be growing? In what ways can we be showing God's love in everyday interactions that we have with people? Let's pray together. Lord, we haven't always followed you in the way that we should. We've been distracted. We've made our own conclusions to what you want from us or what your plan is for salvation. I pray that we can come back to you and ask you to guide us and lead us and show us what you want us to do. Individually and also corporately. Guide us. Remind us what is true and what is of you. Not what other voices are saying, but specifically what you are asking us to do. I thank you for this time and how we can come to you and ask for you to lead and move. We pray these things in your name. Amen.